We've been looking at uh, the names of Christ for some time, and this, this is our last one to look at it in this series. We've looked at quite a lot of names. We've not looked at all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but we've looked at quite a lot of them as we focus on Christ. From here, in case you're wondering, we're going to take a look at the names of God. Not a lot of them, but a handful. And then we're going to go into a special series called Ten Places. But let's come back to today. Save this one for today for a couple of reasons. One, it's amazing. The author and finisher of our faith, there, there are a lot of ways we could name it. Because the names given here have so many definitions, most of them don't. Shepherd is a shepherd. Lamb of God, that's a lamb of God. Root and branch, we know root and branch. But when you talk about the author and perfecter of our faith, and then you look for those words in the original languages through Scripture, you find that they have been translated a huge amount of ways because, well, it's the reverse of a Greenlander and snow. I'll explain. I'm told, although I have no way to check on this, that a Greenlander has dozens of words for snow. And every one of them describes a different kind of snow. Well, this is the reverse. This is one name given to Christ that if you try to define it, you end up with dozens of definitions. So that said, take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, once you watch, I called it author and finisher. NIV says, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy sat before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Whatever this name means, it's a name which means we can fix our eyes on Christ. We can follow him through this. And when times get very, very difficult, we're going to be all right because we've got him. And he's showing us by his very existence that it's going to be all right. Pioneer and perfecter, author and finisher. We need to spend some time here. These names are very, very deep. And it's quite significant that these names are found in the book of Hebrews, a book that spends a lot of its time underlining and insisting upon the salient fact of the universe, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God above all things, greater than any angels, greater than any prophet, greater than any created being. He is the one who is above all others. That is why, as we said at the table, that is why we are able to gather, regardless of race or background or politics, for as you might feel very strongly about where you're from, and you might feel very strongly about your politics, there is someone above all of that, and that's who we follow. Jesus, the Christ, the author, the finisher, the pioneer, the perfecter. And yet, here's a big difference. I mean, when I was in school, every so often... They would, I'd have to take a comparative religion class or something like that, or a mythologies class, because they want you to be well-rounded, and so they should. 
And the teachers very often would make it as these are all the same paths to the same God. We all, you know, you'll notice that they all have these things in common. And I noticed even early on, there was something very different about Christianity. The others had gods that would trick them. The others had gods that would uh, cause trouble among them and release trouble on purpose. The others had gods that lied. But they also, those gods, if you wanted to approach them, it was hard to approach them. You either had to go through horrible trials and physical pain and struggle, or you had to go through an elaborate, costly set to priest to perhaps maybe get the God to listen to your petition. But our God, as high as he is, is approachable. Not just approachable, he asks you to approach. He asks you to walk with him, to eat with him, to follow him, to engage with him. God of the universe looked down at a bunch of folk, if you read the context of it, that were having a real struggle trying to be even halfway decent human beings. It wasn't as if these were the good people. And he said, come, let's reason together. Let's work this out. Another time, Jesus talks to his apostles and says, you know, if a couple of you agree about something down here, we'll back you up. We'll agree with you in heaven. What a, I, there's nothing like this. Don't let anybody fool you that all mythologies all have the same. No, they don't. This is not a mythology. Maybe that's why it's different. Our God is approachable. Think of the pictures. We're, we're, we don't have time to do all of them, obviously. So let's just do two of them. Both of them in gardens. The Garden of Eden. What did God do every day? He came down to walk with them in the garden. Just to walk. The Garden of Gethsemane. Trials, fear, pain, loss. And Jesus is there as well saying, won't you just stay awake with me a bit? Just stay with me a little bit through this. Whether it's pleasure and perfection in the Garden of Eden or the trials of the Garden of Gethsemane, and Hebrews 12 says, even under trials, keep your eyes on Jesus. Walk with Jesus. We all have the experiences sometime in the other when you were a little kid, you were excited. Maybe you were at the fair or a zoo or even just the shops, but you were excited. And, and you saw something which made you, you wanted to share what you've seen. And you looked up at your mom and dad, and it wasn't them. They, now, they may have only been a few feet away, or like my parents, hurriedly changing a dress and costumes, but they might have only been a couple of feet away. But you remember that, whoa, the terror that strikes. God says, don't let that ever happen to you. Stay close. Stay close here. Watch this guy. Why? Because he's the author. He's the pioneer. He's the finisher. He's the perfecter. Well, we, we don't really get that yet, so let's just keep going at it. The description, this word, is given to Jesus four times. Take a look at these places, Hebrews 2.10 and Acts 3.15. And bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's you, it's fitting that God, for whom, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. 
David in Acts. You killed the author, author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Every so often I'll read a book and I have a Kindle and there are a lot of free Kindle books. And once you get them, most of the time you know why they're free. Nobody edited this book. This book needs a big editor. And some even very famous authors. I read a book recently that was over 800 pages, and the person said, what would you think of it? And I said, that was the best 500-page book I'd ever written, ever read. But it took him 800 pages to say it. We need an author who knows how to tell this story, but more than this, who knows how to walk it. Our author walks it and says, come with me. You can do this. He is the author and, here's another way to translate the word, pathway. He's the pathway. He's the wellspring. He starts it. He's the path. He's the companion along the way. And he's the one that perfects it, edits it down to where it's just exactly right. He's the one you can hold on to during a trial. These words author and perfecter, mean all of these things and even more. We can add some more. Jesus is the beginning of our faith. We have nothing without Jesus. We, we just don't. We went through a long time here where we looked at the names of Jesus every Sunday. We're, we're not done. Even though we're done with this series, we'll be back. We're going to do more. The reason is this. You can get a lot wrong in this life. You really can. You can back the wrong horse in politics. You can back the wrong person. You can marry the wrong person. You can go to the wrong church. Not this one. This is the right one. Don't worry. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can make all kinds of horrendous decisions in life, all in good conscience. And you can worship God not knowing if you're doing it right or not, just don't get the person wrong. The ritual, that's going to be, we're, we're going we're to have to work that out. All of the different doctrines, we're going to have to work that out. But while we're working it out, our perfection in ritual or doctrine is not what saves us. Our perfection is a person. And because of that, he is the start. He is the beginning of our faith. He is the one who made our faith possible. He brought us our faith. He came from elsewhere and came to us and handed us this faith. And then he lived it out right in front of us like a play so that we could see it, question it, wonder about it, and try it on. I have a, a few guitars and, and other instruments, and every so often somebody will say, you know, help me buy my first one. And that's always fun for me, but it's a very complex thing. And often they will have found one online that they want to get. And I'll say, only if you can return it. Because, ladies, you know this. Many of you like to shop for clothes online. And you know a lot of it goes right back. Why? Because this person's idea of a, of a, I don't know, a size 25, I don't know, <laughs> is, is not the same as this person's size. I've even seen some on a rack that are size zero, and I'm saying that's, that's obviously wrong because I can see them. And, uh, uh, <laughs> people have a different 
concept of sizes and a different concept of feel. Sometimes you have to touch it. Sometimes you have to try it. And so Jesus didn't drop a book down. He came down. And as John said, he is the word of God. Try that on. Taste it. See that it is good. And then, to prove himself, he even died and came back to show us death is not a problem anymore. He is truly, as Revelation says, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the path. He is the journey. And he is the goal or the end of the journey. By the way, we're not even done. There's another translation of this word. It's found in Acts 5.31. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince. That's another translation. Prince and savior. That he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. I like the older versions here a little bit better. Please don't misunderstand me. Uh, I read the NIV. I use it. I love it. That's not an issue. But there are some times in a translation I'm going, you might have missed a little bit there. Because in some of the other translations, through him we were given repentance. Now it's easy to read past that and just keep going, but given repentance? Seems a bit odd at first. You know, do you want that gift? Is that the one you really want? You might open that up on Christmas Day and go, ooh, that's really lovely. Did you happen to keep the receipt? But if you ever want a restart, if you ever want a second chance, being given repentance is a blessing. You have been given a way back. How many of us have ever burned a bridge that stayed burned, knowing that perhaps a division in the family or in your business or something, you will never get back. God says there will be none of that between us. I'm giving you repentance so there will always be a bridge back. In fact, Fourth Avenue, we are a church of second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth chances all the way up to 70 times 7 a day. Because if we are not, then what's the point? We have to be a church of the other chance, another chance, another chance. To approach the throne of God, you have to have the option to get rid of the shame that has kept you from the throne of God. How do you do that? Repentance. And he gives that to you. He works you through it. If you don't know what repentance is, because it is a church word, we don't use it very often, it does mean more than feel sorry. But it bothers me when people go, it's more than feel sorry, as if they want you to go through a period of pain and penance. God never called you to that. He called you to change. If you repent, how do you show it? The Bible talks about fruits worthy of repentance. Clean up. Don't do it again. What if you do it again? Don't do it so often. Get better. You know, I don't, do you get better automatically? Most of us don't, do we? We struggle. 
I've even asked people when I used to do uh, counseling back in the day, they would say, well, you know, I have this, e this bad thought 20 times a day. I said, what would be an acceptable number? They're going, well, zero. And I'm going, no, that's, forget that. Um, would five, if you had it five, would that be, you feel like you've made real progress here? And they'd go, yeah, okay. God knows that we aren't better just because we want to be. It takes trial. It takes falling. That's why Jesus said, forgive your brother seven times 70. I've had people say, you know, in some versions, it's, and the ancient manuscripts, it's only seven times seven. Really? Really? I think you're missing the point. God's not asking you to have a little clicker. <laughs> Besides, if somebody's annoyed you or sinned against you 49 times in a day, I think that's a rather full day. We don't need to go to 490, do we? And yet, I give you repentance. He is the source of your way back. He is, here's a word I really love, a translation of the word, wellspring. Now, I, I've never seen a gusher, except in the movies. To me, it looks rather frightening. My wife's father uh, was a landman for an oil company, and so I'm sure he saw gushers. But evidently, it's under quite a lot of pressure. You think you're under pressure, so's the planet. And they hit the right seam or something, and it just flies out. God says that's the way God supplies grace to you and salvation to you. Not in dribbles, not in the, you get this right, I'll consider it. But it's a fire hose of grace poured on you all day because he's the wellspring. And you might worry, well, when will, I, when will God be tired of me? Well, let me just ask, when does God get tired? Didn't he say repeatedly in the Old Testament he didn't? He can do this. James speaks of Scripture as a mirror that we look into and see how we're doing, see how we measure up. It confronts our story with other people's stories. And tells us the old stories so that we can try them on and say, if I was Abraham and that had happened, what would I do? If I was Noah and I'd heard these instructions, what would I do? If I, and you get the point. We try on these stories. We see ourselves in these stories and we try to, what would I do? We're invited into the stories. Ask how we would respond. Now take this same concept and apply it to Jesus' life in the Gospels. We look at his life as the author and the perfecter, the pioneer, the finisher, and we compare our lives to his, not to feel ashamed, not so that we'll go, oh, I don't measure up, I'm not worthy. No, that's not the point. Here's the point. I've been playing guitar for a long time, but I went into a period of a couple of decades where I just played a little bit during the day and didn't really learn much or enjoy it much. And the reason was, I didn't have anybody around me to challenge me. I needed somebody better than me to play with so I could get better. I needed somebody to look at me and go, I need you to do a chord that requires 18 fingers. All right, they didn't say that, but let me just give you a clue. If a jazz singer wants you to play for them, run. It requires a mutant. To, to do those chords. 
But, but I would learn, and I'd go, wait a minute, that, actually, that worked. But only if you're with people that are better than you. The same with anything else. You don't learn carpentry by hanging out with people that know less than you. So we compare ourselves to Jesus, not to feel small, but to get better. To learn how he did things. You know, I, there's always been a tendency, and do I have to even say it? A tendency to make religion complex. Make it as difficult, as frightening, and painful as possible. It makes people have power. It makes them feel important. But I, that's not what I see in Jesus. I confess, I get lost in most discussions of deep theology. And I get that out of them as soon as I can. Because I believe Jesus came to tell us a story and invite us into the story. And that what he wrote with his life was not confusing. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14 and Philippians chapter 1. For God is not a God of disorder. Think about the fragmentation of Christianity. God didn't do that. But of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. When I was a boy, a lot of church was, you know what those people are doing down at that church over there? We'll have none of that. God doesn't like that. The scripture says, if they're talking about Jesus, leave them alone. If they're holding up Jesus, leave them alone. Maybe they hold him up different than you do. But they're talking about, in fact, Paul says, they may be preaching Jesus in such a way as to cause you trouble. Leave them alone. Because they're talking about Jesus. What would the world be like if we were united? The, the term snowflake now has become rather derogatory. Because people are afraid of words and concepts and pictures and being frightened. I don't really get that myself, but there they are. But I'd like to think about snowflakes for a minute. In many ways, we are snowflakes. We're very fragile beings. I'm aware of that, especially after this last week. We're, we're kind of fragile. However, having lived around a lot of snow in my life, I know that if you get enough snowflakes together, they'll stop a bulldozer. What would it be like if we dropped the animus and the anger and the division raised up Christ and stuck together. I think we'd change the world. And I think it wouldn't take that long to do so. Jesus will challenge you, but he's not here to confuse you. In fact, when they ask him sometimes questions like, is it now that we ride into Jerusalem? He didn't even answer the question. Why? That's not important. What's important is, follow me. I'm the story. He's the author, the source of our faith. But he's more than that. He's the source of all good things. A source that flows. A wellspring. For he has so much to give, and he's so willing to give it. Look at Hebrews 5.9. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Does this look like somebody who's doling it out begrudgingly? No. 
I'll bring you good news today. He is the wellspring. He is not a puddle. He's ready. By the way, if you take all these passages that say author or pioneer perfecter and put in another word, you get another view. Another translation of the word is source. Jesus is an ancient river of grace. Just put that in your head. Jesus is an ancient river of grace. It's flowed for a long time, but there are no signs of it ebbing. The Congo River in Africa, its source is in a large marshland, the largest marshland on the planet. That marshland itself is bigger than the state of Connecticut. No matter what happens, the droughts, whatever, the Congo flows. Jesus is a bigger river than that. He comes to us flowing on and on. The love of God revealed in Christ, our river of grace. But he is not only the source of our salvation, he is that salvation. He is the gift. He is God's gift to us. Now think about that, especially on a weekend like this weekend. When you hand off your son or daughter to the military, that's quite a brave act. That's quite a, quite a decision to be made. I have three friends who this last week had children, three different families, three different states, that had families raise their right hand and enter different branches, each one a different branch of the military. And they all wrote me saying, we know you've been there. How do you handle this? Well, the answer to that is off our subject, so I'm just going to say this. When you are entrusting your most precious gift to someone or something else, you're showing great faith in that thing. Many of you won't do that, and you'll, you'll entrust them. You'll think, oh, I'd never do something that dangerous. I'm just going to drop them off at college. <coughs> I, I, I don't see how that could possibly go wrong. Um, that's, that's fine. Or you walk them down the aisle. They say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? You're thinking, do I still have the option? And you get the elbow, and oh, me. And, and, and you're down. But you're handing them off to somebody else. God handed us his son. We often talk about the, our faith in God. Have you ever stopped to think about God's faith in us? He gave us his son. On your worst days, remember that. I've had people say, I'm not sure if I believe in God. And I've looked at them and said, I understand, but you need to know this. He believes in you. I truly believe that. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. God, Jesus, actually, we weren't done. You know, he only walked with these guys for three years. And then he goes, you got this, Holy Spirit's coming. And he left. What faith does he have in us? And in his ability to save us. Hebrews 12, 12. I'm sorry, 12 and verse 2. Fixing our eyes. What are you looking at? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy sat before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did he handle the cross? Because his eyes weren't on the cross. 
How did he handle all the Pharisees and Sadducees? Because his eyes weren't on them. His eyes were on the prize. Martin Luther King Jr. told us, keep your eyes on the prize. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's been years ago now. Sometimes it humbles me a bit to realize I'll refer to a movie that I saw as an adult with grown kids and realize that it probably came out before most of them were born over here. But there was a movie, Mel Gibson movie, called We Were Soldiers, based on a true incident, a true battle. In fact, I knew one of the veterans of that battle. He was, uh, it was and is a great man and a great friend of mine who was shot down during that battle as a helicopter pilot. Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore was a different kind of officer. This would be the first time the use of elk, uh, air cavalry to bring in and reposition men on an active battlefield with helicopters. First time. And he knew what they were up against. He gave them a long speech, which is very well known. It was written down by a reporter at the time. But I will just give you one phrase. He said he could not promise to bring all of them home. But one thing he would promise. Quote, I will be the first man to step on the, onto the field of fire, and I will be the last man off. Jesus will stay with us to the end, because he's not just the author and the source and the wellspring. He is the finisher of our faith. Even on the cross, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Being confident of this, here we go, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will say, it is finished when it is time. I'm going to ask Mark to bring his group back up. I'm in the group, so I'll just kind of live here now. <laughs> See, that's what happens. You miss a Sunday, they make you work twice as hard. Just be aware. If I miss another one, I have to do the collection too. As we wind down this lesson, I, at the risk of confusing, I want to add one more definition to these words. And that is founder and protector. All cities have founders, but cities crumble and fall and founders grow old and die unless Jesus is the founder, unless Jesus is the protector. Would you stand with me, please? Jesus is more than the source. He is the finisher, and we must trust him to take us all the way home. Walk with the God who calls and asks you to walk with him. Engage the God who asks you to engage with him. Try on the story. Check him out. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen, church.